Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to 2 Kings chapter 13. 2 Kings chapter 13. I am very, very, very excited. Um, We come to the end of the life of Elisha. And what a journey it's been as we've learned some things about him. And next week, we're going to start be starting a brand new study. And it's the Gospel of John. And my heart and my plan is, and my thought is, is the Gospel of John is an amazing book. And when we tell somebody, if you if you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and you've come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you ought to be reading the Bible. And the first place that you ought to read is, we usually say the book of John. Learn a lot about Jesus Christ in the book of John. It's an amazing book. I love it. I love the book. And so I might encourage you. Uh, one of the things I, I was thinking was, I have always, for years now, if I go out and I buy a Bible, I always make sure that it has wide margins so I can write like little notes in it. Or maybe you want to grab a notebook and you want to bring one, you know, just so you can take, we're going to be learning a lot from the book of John. And I am thrilled and excited about that. And I encourage you to, to get excited, invite a friend out and just hear what's going on in the book of John and, and really look forward to that study. Come prepared, you will learn. You'll learn all sorts of stuff. And I'd, I'd like to ch- to challenge people. I've been teaching uh, the book of John for a long time. I'm passionate about that book and the life of Jesus Christ. And I want to challenge people. And I was thinking this week, I was, I was like, maybe, just maybe, I'll give people uh, the opportunity if they want to. Because... I, I teach this the book of John at least once a year, if not twice a year at school or um, other places that I get the opportunity. And I have book and book and tests and tests and tests. And I'm going to break the book of John up into a couple of different sections. And I'll have a hundred question test if you want to take it. And if you want to take it. And if you get a hundred on it, I'll give you a prize. Now it's not a very hard. It's not like very, very hard. I give this these tests to seventh graders all the time. And no open book. No open book. And if you want to take that test, I'll, I'll have a prize for you. And and I got to see how many people get a hundred because I was thinking to myself, I was like, well, I could I could say if. If you get a hundred, I'll take you out to dinner. But then that could get kind of expensive. I, I you know. But then maybe I think maybe I'll have to see how people do. And um, I know every year when I give this test to seventh graders, a, a lot of them will get like maybe one, two, zero questions wrong, and maybe they'll even put a bonus question on there for you. So you could get one wrong, but then you can make up for it. Maybe they'll make it 102 questions. But if you get a hundred, I'll give you a prize. I just want to encourage you. To really get into it and to get to know it. And I have a reason for that. Because when somebody comes and they ask you a question about Jesus, I'd like you to have an answer. And I'd like you to be able to take take them to the book of John and be able to find the answer. 
And, and I'm, so I'm doing this for your benefit so you can really know it. And I want you to take the time to, to learn it. And so let me tell you, you can't fail, right? That's good, right? And it's about Jesus Christ, something that we love. And it will only benefit you. It's something you really can use. You know, people often will say when they go to school or something, they'll say, when can I ever use this in life? The Gospel of John, you should be using every day of your life. And I think it's important. And I think it's, its implications are eternity. And so I think it's worth it. But anyways, today we're at the end of the life of Elisha. And in 2 Kings chapter 13, Elisha has passed away. And verses 20 and 21, it says, Then Elisha died, and they buried him. And the raiding bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year. So it was, as they were burying a man, that suddenly they spied a band of raiders, and they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. I mean, read, read that story. And you sit there and you go, what did that just say that's happened? Now, now get the picture here, right? These guys in the middle of battle, when, when they, the land of Israel is being invaded in the spring, they have a fallen friend and they're putting him in Elisha's grave and as they put him into Elisha's grave, they t it touches his bones and whoop, he's back to life. The story's crazy, right? <laughs> but as we look at this, I, I kind of like to, a ministry that, his ministry continued after he was dead. And I, I believe this story. And as, as I've read the context here and I've looked at this, I'm just kind of reading and I'm looking and I'm going, you've got to read that like three or four times to just kind of get what's going on. And I, I, I would love it. I would love it. I would so enjoy it to have a ministry, a life that after I'm dead and gone, I am still making a difference in people's lives. I, I listened and spent a lot of time and learned a lot from Pastor Dan Baker. He had this thing he said. He said, get a bucket of water, Scott. And he said, put your hand in it. He said, now take it out. So what's, what's left? He said, that's about the impact you make in this world, you know, when you're dead and gone. And when I began to think about that, I said, well, if you had a dirty hand and you stuck it in the water and you pulled it out, you're, you're going to influence it for that water for some dirt and some leaves. And I don't want to leave dirt behind. I, I, but I believe that when we follow Christ, our, our influence on the grand scheme of things you know, it doesn't make a huge difference, but we can make an eternal difference when we're here. And if we leave things behind for those who come after us, 
We can do things that can affect all of eternity. And this is a strange story. I just like to say, you know, we have some strange stories today and people are still looking for the truth. And I think that some of them are kind of weird. Like I read this story and as I picture it, it's hard to believe. But I believe that if it's in the Bible and it's the inspired word of God, that it was true. And we're going to find out one day that this is absolutely true. But people today, they believe some weird stuff. As a matter of fact, I get into my my news feed and I look and see what's going on in the world around us. And at the beginning of summer, I remember laughing to my wife as we were driving down the road. And I usually tell her what I'm looking at, and why it's so funny to me. I see that there's this guy that is put out on Facebook. We are going to storm Area 51 and we are going to find out the truth. And 100,000 people were going to meet there and they were gonna, and they can't stop all of this. And I, I think I, you know, they, they say laugh out loud. I think I was laughing to my wife. I said, I can't believe that there are 100,000. We're going to find out the truth. I, I think that's important because people are still looking for the truth. And they'll do some strange things to find the truth. They might be looking in the wrong places. But that is crazy because I turn on and I'm looking the next day and I see 250,000 people are going to run. And have said, we're going to all meet there. And then the next day it's 500,000 people. The other day I looked and it, it was 2 million people. I'm going, What? And they, they, they're hoping that they can run into this military base and they'll find some evidence that will, will support what they think or they'll find out and they'll know the truth. I'm just like, okay. And you read about these people that are setting up motels and planning and preparing for these thousands and thousands of people that are coming. Uh, so I put this picture up here and I said, and I was thinking about this and I'm like, in the Bible, we read about these stories where it almost appears, and let me tell you, when you read that story, you're not a Christian, and, and you just kind of read this, and you read that story. Outside of the meaning, and the life of Elisha, and the whole context of Scripture, and the power of God. You might read that story and think, the Bible's teaching me that this guy, Elisha, had magic bones. And he threw him in there, and the magic bones... Had this guy's life come back, you know, and I think about that. And I think about the world is seeking and looking for the truth that will validate some things. And this is just something that, again, that I, I laugh at. And I, I kind of make fun of, but I, I understand that there are a lot of people. There's this image and they say, this is the first interstellar object that's coming into our solar system. And maybe this is an alien spaceship. Look at this picture. If I can get it up there. We'll get it. That's a rock, right? Anybody seen that? It's a rock. Like I look at that and they're like, maybe this is some alien spaceship coming from and this has been all over the news and everything. And there's people like, what is this? And where is it coming from? And what's its significance? Look at it. It looks like a rock. And these people are saying, oh, there it is. A rock. And I go, okay, all right. 
Um, but as I, I said just a moment ago, I don't know if I had this working earlier, Matt. Put your hand, I already gave that example. I said, put your hand in the bucket. But in Elisha's life, even after his death, his ministry is not finished. And his life, even after he's gone, will affect the life of someone else who would be passed on. Now, Christians for years have had like this belief in these thoughts of relics. As a matter of fact, in doing some research and looking some things up, in 1544, Calvin, in his book on the relics of the saints, I'm going to read something to, to you from his book. He says, Christians pretend... To have the manger, the cradle, swaddling clothes, the foreskin and blood of Christ, the water pots that were used at the marriage of Cana, the wine into which Christ turned turned the water, the utensils and furniture that were used at the Last Supper, the manna of the children of Israel, the cross, the cave, Nails, sponge, lance, crown of thorns, coat, handkerchief, and tears of Christ. The milk, schmock, hair, girdle, slipper, comb, and ring of the Virgin Mary. The dagger and buckler of Michael the Archangel. The saw, jawbone, skull, brains, and finger of John the Baptist, the chair, mass attire, and brain of St. Peter. Besides these, the saints which claim to have these things have the same object in many different places, and yet they are supposed to be one and the same. I, I read that and I thought to myself, why would you have some of those things? Did you hear my list? And aren't you sitting here going... Okay, why would anyone want the Virgin Mary's girdle? Why would anyone want Peter's brain? Why would anyone want the finger of John the Baptist? And as I look at this and and I see, I, I go, wow, people, they really wanted something physical to hang on to that, that they thought might bring them some spiritual power. Or some divine, get them closer to God because of, of some relic that they could hang on to. And I, I guess I kind of, I understand and, and I get that. Because I remember when I was a young Christian and, and I first was looking into the things of Jesus Christ. I can remember stories of people who claimed that they had found Noah's Ark. And I, I was really, really excited about it. And I can remember reading this story about this guy by the name of Ron Wyatt who claimed to have found the Ark of the Covenant and it was located right underneath the cross and the blood of Jesus dripped right onto it. And I look look at that stuff now and, and that stuff's exciting and, and things, but I'm not hopping on a plane and going and looking for these relics because I believe that Jesus Christ has provided me with something different. A very personal God. Unless we think that um, 
These things, these people are just that may have had these things were just crazy. There is some biblical uh, evidence of things that because they had been touched by God or by someone who was close to Jesus Christ seem to have supernatural powers. And so I go to the New Testament for examples. And, and think think if you can think. I'm going to put three examples in the book uh, up on the screen here in a minute. We're going to look at them. But think if you can think of things in the Bible that people almost attach to like supernatural events. I'm sure if you think through the Old Testament and the New Testament, um, you could probably come up with some of those things. And so I'd like us first to go to the book of Acts. And I said I'm going to go to the Old Testament because we could probably think of some things in, in the Old Testament. We're going to stay holy in the New Testament. But you could probably think of things like Moses' staff in the Old Testament. But we get to the New Testament or the Ark of the Covenant, which we mentioned early. But we get to the New Testament. And we read in Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 11. Acts chapter 19 and verse 11, it says, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and diseases left them, and evil spirits went out of them. Now, now as I read that that particular verse it says that Paul's handkerchief or his apron things that had come in contact with Paul when people brought those things to him that the diseases left them or even the evil spirits were cast out of them now there's also an, an important word in there that I think we need to understand it says now God worked unusual miracles that means that that was kind of a supernatural thing for as the time of the church was being spread, uh, that this wasn't something that normally happened. And so I think that's an important thing that we need to understand. Let's also look in the book of Mark. Let's turn over in our Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 5. In Mark, chapter 5, we have a, a familiar story as we read, and let's begin our context in Mark chapter 5, verse 21. It says, Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for twelve years, and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent 
all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she had heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For he said, if I may only touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. So as I, as I look in this passage of Scripture, I, not only do I come up with the word from the last one, that this was something that was unusual, I hear something that it was the faith of the woman that caused God to act. So not only is this something that is unusual, it's something that has to accompany somebody's faith in God. Let's look at another example that we find in Scripture in the book of Acts again, Acts chapter 5. In Acts chapter 5. And in Acts chapter 5, in verse 12, we read these words. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So in that particular passage of scripture, we see that even Peter's shadow could make a difference in seeing people healed. And so as, as I read this, I say, okay, I read in the Bible and I see that we have a powerful God. We have a God who has the ability to heal, to restore, to make, to change someone's life for all of eternity. And the thing that I notice is that when people came in contact with all these things, God gets the glory. And so as I, I think about, you know, what's going on and these things that I could have, I have met a person or two. Um, it's funny, you leave our little country life and you go into the city or any city and you begin to see all sorts of strange things. And there are people that would think because they have some special cross or some special water or something that that magic elixir will, will change your life. No, it is the power of God. 
And without the power of God in the name of Jesus Christ, Peter's shadow meant nothing. The robe that Jesus was wearing would have just been another robe if Jesus' power hadn't been behind it. And Paul's handkerchief would have done nothing if God hadn't been there. And we come to today. And as we come to today, I notice that us as Christians, we Christians, God doesn't need to give you a special handkerchief, a special robe. He doesn't need the shadow of a saint. He has given the Holy Spirit to live in you and to make a difference in your life. He has given you the ability to go before the throne of God to pray and to make a difference in the world around you. He's given you the finished and completed word of God. Something that they didn't have in the days of Elisha. Something that they didn't have in the days of Peter or Paul. They did not have this book completed with all of these stories in there. We are so privileged in the fact that we have this book. I'd rather have this book than Paul's handkerchief. I'd rather have this book than the bones of Elisha. I'd rather have this book than Peter's shadow. And that's what's really going to make a difference. And if you want to make a difference in this world, and if you want a life that is going to continue on even after you're gone, you've got to be proclaiming the, the finished work of Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead. I've got a, sh- a story for you. Um, I think I've got the Luke's short story. It's a short story about a man by the name of Luke. Luke immigrated to the United States around in the middle of the 18th century. He was converted at the young age of 103 years old. This happened while Paul, while Luke was meditating under a tree in Virginia on one hot afternoon, recalling a sermon that had been he had heard preached by the Puritan John Flavin in Plymouth, Massachusetts, when he was a boy. That was over 90 years before he had accepted Christ as his personal Savior. Flavin had died in 1791. And now, years and years and years later, this boy, Luke, had converted to Christ. Three years after his conversion, Luke died and entered glory with Jesus Christ. His epitaph written on his tombstone read, Here lies the body of like like Luke Short, aged according to nature, 106 years, aged according to grace, three years. I'd like to encourage you. Every single one of us is somebody that we would we we would wish it would be our greatest privilege to know that we could have hope that they could come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. That they would be praising the Lord and thanking God for for the grace that he's provided with them and the salvation that they could find 
through the name of Jesus Christ. We all have that person that we, we hope for. Don't give up. How long did this story did it take? 90 years before it clicked in. It's the Holy Spirit of God. Only he can keep something in there for 90 years. And it finally all of a sudden makes sense. I'm sure he'd probably thought about that many times, but it took him 103 years before he accepted Christ. The Puritan preacher John Flavel would never be able to hear the story until Luke Short got to glory. In his life, he would never remember that his message made that big of a difference. But years and years and years later, after he'd gone, he took somebody that was dead in their trespasses and sins, and he was raised up to new life in Christ. I, taught, I started this morning telling you about a story that sounds crazy. That we could take a dead body and we could put it into the tomb of a man by the name of Elisha. And as soon as it touched his bones, stood right up and he came back to life. Greater miracle is what we hear in the life of someone by the name of Luke Short. A man who was spiritually dead and facing eternity separated from God. And someone gave a message. I, I, I imagine, I picture that Puritan preacher in the, in the room, side room before that sermon's going on saying, Lord, let there be someone here today who will hear this message and will accept it. The prayer was answered, but 103, or sorry, 90 years later to a man who was 103. Does God listen to our prayers? So you have... A grandchild today who doesn't know Jesus Christ as your Savior is breaking your heart. Don't give up praying. Might be 80 years from now, but God can do. God can work a miracle. Amen. I personally believe that time is short in this world, and it might not be 80, 90 years that someone has. What kind of example are we going to leave if the rapture came today? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever contemplated that? I know personally, I talked a little while ago about how I grab a Bible that has wide margins in it. And I write in here and I write in here and I write in here. You know, I've got a number of these Bibles around. I've got one at school. I've got one here at the church. I've got one at my house. And I've got this one that I carry around. They've got all, all sorts of notes, all sorts of highlights, all sorts. If the rapture happened tomorrow... I want somebody to grab this book and read it. I know that all they need is the gospel. But I'd love, to, love them to see my heart and my passion about what I knew was coming. There's been times where I've written in a prayer journal. And I've written about my hope and my desire. The rapture is coming soon. And if I've been taken away and I'm left behind and you pick this up and you read it. Let this change your life. It's not too late. Come to Jesus Christ. If I were to pass away today, I'd hope that someone would come along and read the things I've left behind, that they would have heard the message, and finally, they begin to listen. If I'm in heaven and they're still listening, uh, praise the Lord, and, and if they come to know Jesus Christ. What about the things that you've said, the little notes that you've left behind, so that as your children go through your stuff, and they begin to read and they begin to see 
What will be the legacy that you've left behind? Elisha is gone, but he's still making a difference, and people are are still coming to know Jesus, are still coming back to life because of what he did. And we can do the same today. If you couldn't be in this world anymore tomorrow, with the things that you have said, the things that you've done, the prayers that you have committed to Christ, would they can have your ministry continue on after you're gone? We read a verse this morning in the book of Hebrews. Let's turn there this morning. Hebrews chapter 11, the chapter of faith. I love Hebrews chapter 11. I think the more I read it, the more the more I love it and, and just find people that I'd like to admire, people I'd like to follow and learn from. But in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4, it says, By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and though it being dead, still speaks. And as I read that verse, by faith, God can even speak through someone who who has passed away, who is dead. You think about the story of rich, the rich man and Lazarus. When, when the rich man hears, even if one, they have the Moses, they have the prophets, even if one were to come back from the dead, would they listen? Jesus Christ has come back from the dead. And there are millions all over this world who didn't listen. But we in this life, we can make a difference and we can... We can share our faith. We can leave things behind. And we can ask the question, will the world be any different? Because you and I were born. And when we've come and we've gone, I hope and pray that our lives will be a testimony of what the grace of God can do. And that even after we've passed and we've gone on to glory, our life will still be resonating of what God can do. Keep on praying. Keep on serving. Keep on giving testimony that God is good. I I challenge you. Do some little things. Write a note here. Write a note there. Take a Bible. Mark it all up. And leave it in a place that if you were gone, someone would find it. Let your testimony continue on. We've read, as we've been finishing up the life of Elisha, we've read the end of life of Paul a number of times. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I have looked at and I have brought us to Verses 6 and 7, a number of times. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So he's coming to the end of his life. And in verses 9 to 16, we read, Be diligent to come to me quickly, 
For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. Cretans for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for the ministry. Antiochus I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I have left in Carpus at Troas when you come. And the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must be aware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against him. And as I, I read Paul at the end of his life, you know, he's excited about what some of the guys are doing. But at the same time, his heart is broken by as he's getting ready and he's getting prepared to leave this world, his life is broken by the direction some other people have taken. It gives us comfort to know that the Apostle Paul was excited to see what some people were doing for the Lord and he was discouraged and he, he, he was you know, kind of broken hearted by those who were running away. But then I think about Paul. And I don't need Paul's handkerchief today. But Paul left words of the truth of the gospel behind. And one person was taken and dropped into Elisha's bones and popped back up to life. That guy lived a little while and he died again. And that time he didn't come back to the life. Or else we'd still hear about it till today, right? But the words of Paul, what he left behind, the message of salvation through Jesus Christ and his constant talking about grace have brought millions and millions and millions back from spiritual death to eternal life. And that life lasts forever. That's a bigger miracle than a guy being a dead body being thrown in the bounds and popping back up to life. Because there are millions who have spiritually been saved for all of eternity. I don't want a magic bone today or the handkerchief of Paul or the girdle of Virgin Mary or the nail clippings of Jesus Christ or the finger of John the Baptist. Because I got life-saving words of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anytime I want, I can go and I can bow before the throne of grace and bring my petitions before Jesus Christ. I have never touched a relic. I have never touched the bones of Elisha. But my heart has been touched by Jesus Christ. And I, re I receive new life in Christ. And today, I ask us to leave a legacy that will continue beyond our own life, our own existence, 
do things worthy of the kingdom. Let's turn to that, that verse in Revelation that I've got on the screen. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18. Revelation 1 and verse 18 says, I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things that will take place after this. We have the words of Jesus Christ there. I love what he says. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. Amen. And when we come into that relationship with Jesus Christ, we believe in him as our personal Savior. And we are touched by what Christ did on the cross. And we believe in him as the Son of God. We have eternal life. Let's leave that message for those who would come after us. Let's let our, our, our testimony and our ministry continue well beyond what we can have in this life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are good and I thank you and I praise you for the way you work in our lives. And I thank you for the things that we learn from your word. And I pray that you might help us, that maybe I've challenged someone to live a life that will have a legacy that would be beyond their own. Lord, that their heart's desire would be to see people to, can, to keep on coming to Jesus Christ, even after they're gone. Lord, there is no greater gift that we can give to someone than to let them know the truth. Lord, we see people all over this world running and chasing after relics after trying to find the truth and we have the truth right here in front of us help us to provide them with the answers and i pray that your holy spirit will convict them and will call them to come to saving knowledge of jesus christ be with us today help us to praise you in jesus name amen